A grandma's dying wish adorns her gravesite, and it's a head scratcher. This is the focus group. They're all business, except when they're not. It's the focus group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Welcome to the focus group, John Nash, with my good friend and co-host Tim Bennett. You can find out all about us and our shows, including TFG Unbuttoned, our Tuesday podcast, at focusgroupradio.com. And you'll also learn about our partner here on the Focus Group Deep Discount, which we're going to be talking about and doing a segment on a little bit later. So the show order is Things That Caught Our Eye, and that's something that Tim's grandmother used to do with him. Bring something to the table. What caught your eye? little visit with Deep Discount, quick break, and we're the only show in the universe that does the business birthday, which is after our break. And then we have a shop talk today that looks at successful um, habits or ways of raising kids that lead to successful adults. <laughs> That's a pretty good nutshell, huh? Hey, I have a quick update for you, Tim. What? Remember, um, I think it's caught your eye like two weeks ago, you talked about the new bridge in Los Angeles, the right. viaduct thing with those beautiful arches and... Well, you know that old saying, you know, we can't, you're not allowed to have nice things because we'll break them or something. The bridge has been repeatedly closed. People are doing like donuts on it with cars. You know, they're making the marks on the pavement. They have to put a medium in now to to prevent traffic problems. In other words, it's become like another place for people to do things that just make it bad for all of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you read I, about that? No, I did not read about it, but I I read something locally here where I am in Rehoboth. We have a spat or a spate, spate. That's spate, correct. Of uh, graffiti that happens over the weekends, where people defacing public buildings and new playground equipment and the new bathrooms, and you know, how and, much does that cost to clean up? I don't, you know, more than you would think. You know, thousands, not hundreds. And Thousands, uh, because yeah. it's no, on brick, you know, and a lot of it, uh, you know, the new restroom renovation was a couple of million dollars. And uh, here you have people defacing it and with, you know, crude graffiti. And I don't know. I, I never understood people defacing public property, but. Or, or, or just like damaging it. Like that bridge in LA is brand yeah. new, shining new thing. And, and here they're having to shut it down, open it up, shut it down, open it up. I don't know. It's. It's disappointing, but I thought that would be a good follow-up from our uh, from when you did that as a caught your eye. Well, I was laughing because I think we also discussed, I, I did a story about, um, or I posted it to our Facebook page, which is Focus Group Radio, but the mayor in New York had confiscated all these RVs and yes. these ATVs and whatever, and then they showed them. You saw them crush them, right? Crush them at the dump. So it's a huge problem in Philadelphia. They're jumping on the sidewalks. I don't know if they're still doing it in Manhattan, but apparently D.C., much of cities, this is the, the hot thing. And I had to love, you know, as much as, as uh, Russia, I don't like in many cases. There are two things the Russians have done over the years that I just thought would kind of a you know, little bit of tough love. One of them is when all those pirates were out in the ocean and, you know, 3,000 yep, miles offshore, Somali, Somali pirates, pirate, right? right going to hijack oil tankers. And, you know, ourselves or the British or the Dutch would capture the little dinghy, the little boats, bring them on, take them back to Mogadishu <laughs> or whatever. And then they'd get released again three seconds later and be back out 4,000 miles out <laughs> exactly, in the ocean. Exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Russians just eh, lock and load, <laughs> done. Blow <laughs> them up. So Russia's got this problem with these ATVs as well. 
And so it popped up on some feed. Maybe it was on TikTok. I thought, well, I'm going to watch how they handle it. So sure enough, the Russian police and their big SUV just ran them over, <laughs> knocked the people right off the... <laughs> you couldn't do that here. But they were on this highway. These kids were causing trouble, so they just got right on them, rear-ended them, banged them, knocked them off. They flew flew into the air 30 feet into the ground. So I'm like, well, there you go. That's how you handle it. <laughs> In other words, you like the schadenfreude approach, the healthy laughter at the misery of others, right? Well, I just think that they're aggressive and no bullshit, you know. So, you know, and, and I think I think in this case, I don't know how you stop these things without being a little more aggressive. And, and uh, you know what? You have a point. Like Bob, um, there was a point in time where in Midtown, at, around rush hour, mm -hmm. a pack of these, oh yeah, electric scooters, ATVs, quads, they'd go down one of the main avenues. And Bob said the cops are just watching them go by. And I said, what would you like them to do? They're they're moving. They're, they're not going to be there for more than a few more seconds. I mean, they try to corral them. But I think this seizure thing, and then I love when they, they crush them. I'm just yeah. like, Bob's like, what a waste. I'm like, uh-uh, it's not a no. waste. It's a deterrent. No, they all have to end up going somewhere. And if I were the police, that's what you do. You go to where you know they're going to be stopping or where they, yep. they cluster. And then you're, okay. You have the dump truck and you load them up and off. Anyway, I think <laughs> you need to be more aggressive. These cities are not very aggressive. I hope your mayor is being more aggressive. The mayor in Philadelphia is an absolute disaster. The whole leadership in Philly is a disaster. The police chief, hey, everyone else. Didn't the mayor in Philadelphia basically say can't wait it's till a job he over. would never want again, right? Yeah, yeah, can't wait till it's over. So, But they've also had, you know, smartly New York, and I think maybe Chicago. But you guys have had two-party rule. You've elected Republicans and you've elected Democrats. Yeah, that's true. Philadelphia has not had a non-democratic mayor since i think maybe the 40s wow so you know it's quite a run so you know what you're dealing with you know i hate to say it but one party rule is uh is not good doesn't for matter anybody. which party yeah not good for anybody so you, you need to mix it up do you have anybody that still lives in the city i do but they're dropping like flies they're all leaving they're all moving they're all our age they all thought a lot of them would keep houses they're retired every single one of them that i know has sold their houses and beautiful beautiful condos and houses and lost money in some cases because of uh you know one person was near south street um which has become kind of the wild west so is places... the neighborhood still pretty safe and do they even consider it the neighborhoods anymore? Well, you know, it's called that, but the neighborhood doesn't live there. They've, they've all moved out. It's typical of probably Chelsea. Do any gay people still? Probably some still do. Oh, no. Chelsea's pretty, still fairly gay, but the, the big ground zero is now Hell's Kitchen. It's all moved okay. uptown. Yeah. Yeah. In Philadelphia, it's moved to other sections of the city. Uh, people have moved to other sections of the city, probably Northern Liberties, um, Port Richmond. Some of these other areas probably are more um, getting more LGBT. Q friendly. It's more affordable too. So yeah, that's true. That's you know, the neighborhood in Philadelphia is right in the center city, and you know, between two very nice neighborhoods. And like, was it Walnut nice Street itself. and um, Walnut Thirteenth? Yeah, you know, Spruce, Spruce and Twelfth, all that whole area between Washington Square and and Rittenhouse Square. You know, you and I did a lot of consulting work for the city of Philadelphia for the tourism board, and I I used to love taking the train down to Philly and walking to a yeah. meeting. Because it, the city had a European feel to it. it the buildings aren't so cr crazy tall, and, they're, and a lot of them are Beaux-Arts and beautiful architecture. And it's just a shame to hear that it's, it's just not being treated well. Right. And the other thing I always remind people of, which, which you know, is that Philadelphia gets overshadowed by New York. It's only 80 miles south of New York yep. City. 
But without New York City, which, you know, New York is a world-class city, but without New York, Philadelphia would be by far the largest the city on the East Coast. And people forget that. It's a big city. So it's, it's much bigger than D.C., much bigger than Boston. Uh, and, you know, just for folks Baltimore, that live on the Eastern Seaboard, you can make a whole weekend out of visiting Philadelphia and just going to art museums. Yeah. I mean, talk about the art museum capital, right? Yeah, no, the museums are incredible. Great dining, great food. It's a wonderful, beautiful city, but it's just not, it's out of control. It's broken. The city's broken and it needs to be fixed. And, uh, but it's going to take some tough leadership. Mm, yeah, well, we'll see what happens, right? Yeah. On that note, let's go to... What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. So, Mr. Nash, I had... Is this a marketing one? Yeah, this is a marketing one. popped up on my feed, and the, the headline is Sprint... Sprint. Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> Just a letter. Sprite will no longer be sold in green bottles. So for anybody who drinks Sprite, um, similar to 7-Up, I guess, but uh, they would use green bottles to package the, uh, the non-cola. And the Sprite product, which is a product of Coca-Cola, has been packaged in green bottles. You want to say how long, how long do you think it has been packaged in green, green plastic? Uh, if I guessed 20, I'm going to guess 45 years. Not a bad guess. I don't know what I would have guessed, but 60 would not All have right, been so what I would have guessed, goes but 60 years. 70s or 80s then? Well, it would have been... Uh, 80. 60, 60 years ago. So oh, I no, 60. Yeah, okay. So in the 60s it started. So, um, yes, yeah, so they've been bottling uh, Sprite in these green bottles. They said they changed their packaging from... They're going to change their packaging August 1st to go from green bottles to clear bottles. And they said this is part of a broader effort to become more environmentally responsible. So apparently these green, um, green bottles contain a, a chemical called polyethylene terephthalate, PET for short. And it's an additive that can't be recycled into new bottles. So those green bottles are not recyclable into new, new bottles when you see something that's recyclable. So it, this is a key initiative for the city, or for the city, for the company to uh, reduce waste. They said taking the color out of the bottles will allow them um, to be used as quality recycled materials. Uh, so using the clear bottles is why they've decided to do that. They said customers will also notice that um, there will be a revamped logo and packaging design to make it more consistent across the world because they had different logos and, and color schemes across the world. But they did say that the green hue, the familiar green hue of Sprite will still be used on the labels. They said other beverages that use green bottles in Coke's portfolio include Fresca, Seagram's, and Mellow Yellow. And all of those bottles are also going to be replaced in the coming months. Um, but the first one will be Sprite, and then all the other colored bottles will be changed as well. Again, they said this will, um, they've been criticized for years by contributing, they said, to a damaging plastic waste. And in 2020, were named the world's number one plastic polluter. Wow. So, wow. Um, they said in one case in the ocean, they said its logos and branding were found on 13,834 pieces of discarded plastic uh, in a number of countries. So they've Coke announced this initiative in 2018, World Without Waste, and the ultimate goal is to recycle, collect a recycled bottle for everyone that's sold by 2030. So sell a bottle, recycle a bottle. And they said this new initiative, they expect... Um, that uh, they will reduce roughly 20 million pounds of plastic waste a year 
20 million a year yeah by doing this project he also announced the majority of dasani bottles in the u.s and canada will now be sold only in 100 percent recycled plastic so they're making they're trying to here's an example of a company that's been called out for their practices and they're actually making uh trying to make change right so uh, good for them. This is, this is a major undertaking, by the way. If you happen to be watching on YouTube, uh, Tim has up a, a panel of the two bottles side by side, the new clear version and the original green on the left. And, you know, this is one of those things that end to end is pretty complex. So they're cha- the bottle shape is actually sort of the same, a little shorter, tiny right. bit. Label's different, but they got rid of that, like, lemon lime thing that's splashing that tells you it's that sprite is lemon lime right would you like that to happen they a little type under this is lemon lime. lemon lime i see it just says lemon lime but it's yeah. kind of i don't like the new look um i like the old i like the old same here couldn't they have just changed the bottle label. and kept the old label but i guess that label is not really that much green so maybe the the green bottle takes it away but i don't know yeah, i don't drink soda much anymore no so neither do i not i shouldn't say much i don't drink it at all <laughs> There was a time, though, uh, when you would have, was it Diet Pepsi or Diet, Diet Dr. Coke. Pepper? Diet, Diet Coke. Well, but Diet Dr. Pepper, uh, one of the guys at work turned me on to, which tastes quite good, which is a, a, a what do I call it, a, a middle-aged husband's friend with a shot or two of bourbon. It becomes a mini Manhattan when you're out taking the dog or the kids out for a walk. <laughs> a friend of mine, Jeff Levy, told me that. He said, you want a quick Manhattan? He goes, get some Diet Dr. Pepper, throw a couple shots of bourbon in it with ice and take a walk. Take a walk. <laughs> yeah, it's it's called little, an adult go cup, right? right? Right, a little after work. So, um, yeah. So, uh, but I, yeah, no, I used to have probably six a day. Wow. But that was diet, even though they still. claim it's still problematic. Yeah. But I would go down to the vending machine at work and say, okay, could I, I can get a little bag, if you're hungry at three in the afternoon, I can get a little bag of chips or I can get this or I can get that. And I would get a Diet Coke thinking it would fill me up. I was also very active then, but. That's too much soda, too much yeah. crap into your body, preservatives in your body. I'm fortunate that I am not a fan of, of carbonation. So, Oh, you're not? Now, water was always the kingpin for me, thank no God. No fizzies? You don't like fizzies? I, I do in tonic, but <laughs> huh, <laughs> not, I didn't know not that. my I beverage. Didn't, I didn't know you didn't like that. That's funny. Another, another piece to the puzzle. No fizzy for So what caught your eye? So what caught my eye comes to us from Mexico City, and basically it's a dying grandma's wish was to have a giant dick put on her grave. <laughs> and I knew Stop. you'd laugh at this. This is just beyond right. No way. Before her death. Oh my 90, God, is that real? Uh-huh. 99-year-old Caterina Perez had one final <laughs> wish, a giant statue of a dick on top of her grave. Ooh. Her family unveiled the completed monument, a five and a half foot tall cock and balls weighing nearly 600 pounds, mounted on her tomb at a cemetery in Mexico this past weekend. Oh this comes to us God. from like a week or two ago as a recognition of her love and joy of life. She wanted to break the paradigm of everything Mexican <laughs> where things are sometimes hidden because of not having an open mind, her grandson Alvaro told Vice News. She was always very avant-garde, very forward-thinking about things. So she came from a small town called Misantla in the eastern state of Veracruz, and she had a particular affinity for penises, which, and because she loved what she believed they represented. Now, this was interesting. 
There are a few words in Mexican slang as dynamic as verga. And I, apparently vergas, I think, is the Mexican word for penis, which is perhaps best translated in English as cock due to its general use as a profanity. But depending on its phrased, how it's phrased, verga can be a brutal insult, telling someone to go F themselves, or they're not worth crap, which was valis verga, or it can be a compliment, a badge of honor, and it's, if something like verga, it's cool or badass, that's the way she liked to think of it. She thought of her whole family as verga, badass. So over the years, she told people that when she died, she wanted to put a penis put up on her thing, and they're like, well, you know, we don't know. So she died on January 20th, 2021, and then her family decided to make the dream come true. <laughs> they hired a local carpenter and a group of 12 people, their most, um, the first attempt, they created something that looked disfigured. <laughs> so they went back to the drawing board. And apparently the most difficult part of this whole process was creating the ball sack. <laughs> really? <laughs> so it made this out of, went up what's it made it, out of? It's, it's, it's Is made it out of um, plaster, plastic, and resin. Oh, okay. And parts of it have been carved. And... Um, so it goes up on in the grave. The photo of it on the grave quickly circulated on social media uh, after it was unveiled, unveiled on July 23rd this year. Local media storm around the Dick statue has also led to some interesting new requests uh, from the guy that crafted it. He was recently asked to build a gravestone shaped like a dump truck <laughs> by a family of God. a deceased person who worked for years in construction. Her grandson says, of every 10 people, I think around seven see the statue positively, and if they don't see it as a good thing, they at least respect his grandmother's wishes. There's others who, in their conservative values, are very close-minded, very square, who see it poorly. Uh, so that is your... <laughs> <laughs> Do you see the grandmother? And the, yeah, like... I wonder what it cost. They didn't say in the article. that I And, and I did a couple double checks, and they didn't say what it cost. But, you know, I almost think it's worth... This is one of those off-the-beaten-trail tourist things you do someday let's go see the big dick on someone's grave you know outside well of i'm sure city. yeah and then you kind of have to rub it or whatever and I, I meanwhile we have that story we did with the little tombstone and i was upset because if you deciphered the letters it might say a bad word meanwhile this woman's got a huge yeah if it was F -U -F -A, yeah <laughs> i wonder if they used anybody as a model We'll have to ask the artist well at five and a half feet tall that would have to be some kind of model right well you know you blow it up <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate it. In fact, I thought you were going to use it. I, I'm, I'm, I didn't see that. Across... No, I, I didn't see that. That's a good one. I didn't see that one. So just for, if you're new to the show, this is exactly how Caught My Eye works. We, we don't pick the same thing, and, it, and it's, it's just always across. It's off the table, off the map, right? Yeah, Sprite bottles <laughs> and penises. Sprite bottles and grave penises with yeah, on tops of graves. Okay, as uh, many of you know, and I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Deep Discount is a partner of ours here on Focus Group, and we would love for you to check their site out by going to ours, deep uh, focusgroupradio.com, click on the Deep Discount logo, and start your shopping extravaganza. Uh, they have a sale going on that I'm really, I, I think it's a fun sale, and it's called Colorful Title Sale, which means a color is in the title of the movie. So think Hunt for Red October, Red or Red Dawn, and we're showing some here, Pretty in Pink. Men in Black, you know, Deep Blue Sea. I think it's a great idea for a sale. And I went through every page and saw movies I've never heard of, movies that, you know, I'm like, oh, I'd like to see them again. So without further ado, what did you pick as your, as your uh, 
colorful so the, title. So there sale. was a there's a bunch of obvious ones, and I've I laughed because two movies. Well, one movie you turned me on to, Grey Gardens, which is part of the sale, which we always say you should have. And then of course I like fried green tomatoes. So then I laughed and thought, well, here's two movies that I really love that have names of uh, you know that have colorful names in them, which is perfect for the sale. But I've talked about those before, so I kept looking. So I went very deep into the archive. And not only is it movie titles, but also titles of actors or actresses that might ah, be of yes. color. Yeah. So I came across this, which I never heard of, and I didn't know whether anyone did. And I know you can't stream it, so you have to get it through Deep Discount. But it's called Betty White in Life with Elizabeth and then Slash Date with Angels. And uh, you can get it for under $10 on DVD, or you can get a box set um, for a little over $20. But it's a four-disc collection. It has 41 episodes of early Betty White ser- of an early Betty White series called Life with Elizabeth and Date with the Angels. It totals over 17 hours of content. And uh, the show had debuted uh, in 1953 uh, through 55. And it's about a house- housewife and a couple um, that get into predicaments. It almost sounds like a ripoff of I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. But... Yep. Um, this said, is the 50s, right? Yeah, they said at the end of every show, the, they said the plot revolves around Elizabeth and Alvin, an ordinary suburban couple that inevitably get into predicaments. And uh, Del Moore and uh, Jack Nars are, are part of the, uh, the cast. But what happens at the end of the show, there's an announcer, a third-party announcer will come in and say, I shall leave you at this point, Elizabeth, and walk in the actor Alvin walks out of sight and then the announcer would say Elizabeth aren't you ashamed and she would slowly nod her head and then with a slightly devilish grin she'd vigorously shake it and that was the end of the show apparently that's how all the shows ended you wouldn't be surprised no it didn't last too long but um, (laughs) this Tim this ending is so weird what would she be ashamed of well probably because she got her husband or they got themselves in some sort of trouble right and okay. so it was it was typical of you know it was Ricky when Ricky used to put Lucy over his his knee to spank her I'm going to spank you yeah. you know and then <laughs> you know she'd be laying there kicking and you know with a little skirt and apron on so anyway i i thought this would be an interesting thing for somebody as Betty White has just uh just died this year that if you were a Betty White fan and you were tired of Golden Girls and all the the game shows that you saw Betty on, maybe you take a and Mary Tyler Moore when she Mary plays Tyler Sue Moore, Ann. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So take a take a shot at Betty White in Life with Elizabeth and Date with the Angels. Date with the Angels. I like this one. I when you sent it over, I was like, I had never heard of it either. And and that's the fun thing about Deep Discount and about uh, going to their site. You just discover stuff all the time. So I picked a title that stars Alec Guinness, and it's called The Man in the White Suit. I've seen pieces of it over time, but I've never actually seen the whole movie. And I'm a big Alec Guinness fan. And, and it's a, it's a comedy and it's uh and here's the, here's the description. He's, he plays, Alec Guinness plays a determined textile chemist named Sidney Stratton, who realizes eventually his, his dream, his ambition of creating an indestructible fabric that resists all stains and tears. So it's like indestructible. The celebration is short lived, however, once both closing indus- clothing industry management and labor realize the bottom line implications of garments that never wear out and then set out to squelch his discovery by any means necessary. It's a classic farce from Ealing Studios, and it also stars Joan Greenwood and Cecil Parker. Um, so he basically 
creates indestructible clothing. And once the industry gets wind of this, they're like, wait a minute, that means you will buy one thing and that's it for the rest of your life. Oh, that would be ideal for you. Yeah, it would be. And so they determined to like run them out of business and it's a comical farce from there. So it's one that I've always wanted to see. You can get the Blu-ray for $22.70. I've never heard of this Guinness film. And uh, I love Alec Guinness. So I'd like to see this all the way through. It's like uh, 87 minutes. I think it's not. It's like it's like Tim's perfect movie. A little less than an hour. I need to be. And it it reminds me of a little bit of some of the plots of those old Disney movies from the 60s we used to watch. Flubber. Yeah. Right. And the, the the professor and something. Uh huh. Exactly. Where they yeah. invent something. Yeah, that's, yeah. Tim, that's that's a great. Uh, I, I wouldn't movies. be surprised if it was influenced by a movie like this. And the new release this week is The Lost City, and that stars uh, Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. And um, this came out, did really well at the box office. Brilliant, but reclusive romance novelist Loretta Sage, and that's of course um, Sandra Bullock. Best known for her adventure stories featuring handsome cover model Alan is kidnapped by an eccentric billionaire looking for the ancient lost city from her latest novel. Wanting to prove that he can be a hero in real life, Alan, who's Chang Tatum, sets off to rescue her. Thrust into an epic jungle adventure, the unlikely pair will need to work together to survive the elements and find the city's legendary treasure before it's lost. It got good reviews, good comedy, and there was a lot of chatter about Channing Tatum doing some nude scenes. Not really? completely nude, but there's a scene where she has to pull leeches off his body, his oh. naked body. And when they were doing the press tour, she's like, you know, I got to kneel and basically peel <laughs> these fake leeches off Channing Tatum. So, she you know, I, I'll, I'll say that that might be worth a watch, right? Yeah, well, he's, he's certainly uh, certainly popular right now. So as, uh, as Mr. Nash mentioned, it's a different kind of sale. The titles or artists are uh, contained... Uh, as a color in the titles, but this sale going on currently right now at deep discount. The new release this week is the Lost City on 4K Ultra HD, so be sure to pick that up. And two recommendations, colorful recommendations that uh, we picked, both white, which is surprisingly, <laughs> it's funny, yeah. <laughs> I, I of all the of all the colors, I picked uh, Betty White and Life with Elizabeth and Date with the Angels on DVD, some early 1950s uh, comedies that uh, she starred in. And John picked The Man in the White Suit, which sounds like a great uh, fun romp as well. So be sure to pick those products up as well as others at Deep Discount. Get there by going to focusgroupradio.com and clicking on the Deep Discount logo. They've been with us since we have uh, started our video broadcast. And uh, we appreciate their support of us and your support of them. So right now we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have our business birthday and then a shop talk which talks about four things all parents uh, supposedly have in common that led to the success of raising their children and uh, or having good successful careers. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now, back to the focus group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere. Welcome back to the focus group. John Nash with Tim Bennett. And focusgroupradio.com is the URL, and all you need to know about us is at our site. And I want to remind um, everyone listening that September on Focus Group and also our Tuesday podcast, TFG Unbuttoned, is Criterion Month. And we're going to be giving away 
lots of movies. I'm working very hard on new movie clues right now. Not too hard. We we do actually everybody always gets these, so I don't know why I, I say they're not too hard. We have a good you had smart one, audience one who likes year, media. You had you one what? year uh, when we did it on Sirius XM where there was one week it was too difficult that people couldn't get it. Remember? Yeah. And uh, which was kind of fun because, uh, as you said, there's always some movie that somebody may have been their favorites or their they could pick up on. But it was great that you had that one clip, and I think you held it over for another week or two. Someone finally got it. I think that one of the most hilarious, you're right about that. It was held over. We did use it again three weeks later because we used to do this every third week of the month because we used to close our show with Tim's List, which is a very popular game we played. Um, I remember one one month I did sound effects from Star Trek, specifically the transporter. And do you know that everybody got every single one? Because they've changed the, the, the sound of it over the course of the several movies in the shows. I was flabbergasted. I was like, wow. Okay. Big sci-fi fans. Uh, you know, so sci-fi you're, you mentioned, uh, we talked offline, but, uh, the passing of the, uh, Star Trek original, uh, Nichelle Nichols passed away on Sunday yeah. at 89. Um, I'm kind of sad about it because I believe that means there's only three living members of the original cast. That would be William Shatner who played Captain Kirk. George Takei, who played Lieutenant Sulu, and Walter Koenig, who played uh, Commander Chekhov. And Chekhov and Sulu are actually the same age. They used to sit at the same council on the show, but I think that's the last three. It's did, that group, a... did that group have a, because that was such a, it became such a cult classic, and I knew they would do a lot of those fan conventions. Fan conventions. Did they all get along, or was there, was there... <laughs> are you asking that on purpose? Because there is an answer. No, I, I don't know. I mean, I heard Shatner. Everybody said Shatner was difficult to deal with, but yeah, I never so knew whether Shatner that was. Did is like he sort of gets along with the other folks, but uh, Scotty, who was played by James Doohan, did not like Bill Shatner. Hated him. Um, George Takei puts up with him. They have a little Twitter crap back and forth now and then. Walter Koenig plays neutral. I'm not sure about Nichelle Nichols. Um, how she felt about him. Leonard Nimoy, and who played Spock, and Bill Shatner had a very, very super close friendship for many years. They did conventions together. They did the movies. And then there was some incident that occurred, and Bill Shatner to this day does not know why, but he wrote a book about it, as, as a matter of fact. But Leonard Nimoy just stopped talking to him. Like One day it was like, boom, over, friendship's done. And then several, maybe two years later, Leonard Nimoy actually passed away. And Bill Shatner never had a good reason as to why Jeez. he was suddenly cut out of the friendship. So kind of weird, huh? Yeah, that's really weird. Chase. All right. Here we go. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. Born today, August 3rd, 1941, celebrating her 81st birthday is the one and only Martha Helen Stewart. I didn't know that was her middle name. Yeah, I didn't either. And uh, and her maiden name was Kostraya. Okay. Yeah. Professional housekeeper, insider trader, an American retail businesswoman, writer, pot smoker, and media personality. <laughs> I love the way you slide that one in, right? Well, I had to laugh because she was described as, so when I went, I'm using this Canadian list I told you. And I'm not sure I would have, I, I, so I'm going down the list and I, I hit business category and I look over and it says professional housekeeper, insider trader. 
I'm like, who could that be? And I, I laughed because I said, can you imagine referring to her as a professional housekeeper? But I guess that's what she did, right? Or what she does. Mm-hmm. Keeps house. So um, not much to say about Martha, is there? I mean, I was trying to figure out if there's anything. I was looking through this to see. Everyone knows about her wild success and uh, and how she uh, she started her company. But um, in the books and the TV and all that stuff. But when you look at a little of the backstory, she was raised in Jersey City and she was the second of six children. Uh, both of her parents were teachers. And then her dad changed careers and became a pharma sales salesperson. And uh, they'd moved to Nutley, New Jersey. She had an adopted confirmation name of Grace, which is kind of funny um, for Martha considering. When she was 10 years old, she worked as an occasional babysitter for the children of Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra. That's interesting. That's a, That's kind of a weird factoid. Right. And they said Martha, particularly with the Mantles, Mickey and Merlin Mantle, they had four sons and Martha watched them all the time, organized events and birthday parties. Um, at the age of 15, Martha decided to uh, go into modeling and she was featured in a television commercial for Unilever. And then she went on and appeared in a number of commercials for magazines, uh, was also famously in the Tarrington commercial, Smokers, I'd Rather Fight Than Switch, the one with the black eye cigarette mm-hmm. advertisement. Yeah. And then during her college years, they said she supplemented her scholarship money through modeling jobs at $50 an hour, which was a lot. Her clients included Chanel. And it got me thinking, I wonder if she ever visited Danny Thomas dressed like a kitty cat. <laughs> the strap on, you made a little more money than 50 an hour. Um, her mother taught her how to cook and sew. And then she learned the process of canning when they lived up and spent some time up in the Buffalo, New York area. Um, she met her husband and started doing catering. She and another girlfriend started doing catering. They got in a little fight. Martha bought her out. And uh, lo and behold, uh, her husband worked for a publishing company. And uh, people were over and uh, enjoyed Martha's food and said, you know, you should do a cookbook. Wow. Okay. And so, you know, dumb luck, right? Timing's everything. Are you going to tell the story about your visit to her house? I wasn't going to, but um, <laughs> but I could. But uh, so anyway, she went to jail, right, for insider trading, and trading, then she came yeah. back. And they said she, when she came back, she came back with a vengeance in her uh, in the in her seventies, and really um, did all kinds of uh, new shows. And she did a radio show on uh, on Sirius XM Radio. She's now teamed up with Snoop Dogg. They're doing some sort of cannabis, hemp, CBD sort of thing. And uh, she sold most of her company to another holding company, but still has some control over use of brand and how her brand is, uh, how her brand is. uh, Here's an oddball question for you. Because she served time and it was kind of a white, it's it's a white collar crime, they call it, right? You know, insider trading. She still has a police record, right? Yeah. So she wasn't able. So they, they made comment here that she was supposed to, when she got out, because uh, she was after she had the six months in prison in, in West Virginia, wherever she, yeah, West Virginia. Uh, she still had two years of in-house, you know, lockdown or house arrest. Yeah, house arrest. When I saw her, she had the ankle bracelet on. She couldn't leave the yard. <laughs> so she, um, but she wanted to go to England for something. They were going to launch a product in England. They wouldn't let her leave uh, because they wouldn't give her a uh, a visa out of the country. Flight risk. Interesting. But uh, no, John was referring to I. I um, when I was at Subaru, when she went into prison, Subaru was a big supporter of Martha Stewart uh, magazine and, uh, and the show. 
with our listeners and, and drivers of the car were right. fans, right? And uh, when she went off to prison uh, for the six months, all of her advertising, just about everything but three companies, abandoned her. And so Subaru, um, Durkins, Mustard, and Liz Claiborne were the only three that stayed with her. So after she got out of prison, I got this odd phone call that came into me while I was sitting there and said, you know, this is so-and-so from Martha Stewart Living. Martha would like you to come to her house for dinner, um, you know, next month, blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, while well, I appreciate it, I, I said, I don't like those sort of things where I'm in a yard with, you know, 3,000 of her best friends and uh, having a dinner. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 this won't be like that. I said, well, I don't, I don't, you know, and I had d- done enough of this kind of let's go to these things with Lance Armstrong stuff that, you know, ended up being, you know, what those were like. So she said, no, no, no. She said, there's only going to be three people at dinner plus Martha and the president of, 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 uh, of the Martha Stewart group, Omnimedia group, and then another assistant. And so lo and behold, we went and there was lots of strict rules about what you could wear and not wear in the house. There were no mirrors anywhere, which I was the only male. The women were all upset because they couldn't get their makeup. They were trying to, in the stainless steel refrigerators, trying to see if they can get their makeup fixed. <laughs> but there were no mirrors in any of the bathrooms. Just over the sink, there would be a light. Even in the gym, there were no mirrors. That's odd. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so there was, and I brought her dog some treats. She wouldn't allow women to wear high heels in the house. They had to take their shoes off. I had white bucks. She let me keep my shoes on because I had white oh, bucks. Oh, I didn't know that. I forgot that detail. Okay. Meanwhile, dogs are running all over the place, scratching the floors. And, you know, so, <laughs> but, but she, and, uh, and that's when you and I were just going to start the, uh, start the show. Our, our show. And I had nothing, I, I didn't know what to say. I was nervous, of course. And I said, Martha, we have something in common. I said, we do. What's that? I said, we're both going to have shows on Sirius XM radio. Now, I hadn't told the woman I worked with that was there with me, Teresa. Uh, Teresa. So Martha announces in the kitchen, everybody, I don't know if you know, I've just been speaking with uh, Tim Bennett here. And he, like me, has had a radio show on. So she starts saying on and on about when her show starts and when it's debuting and all the whole deal. Then she turns to me and she says, when your show fails, she said, I'm going to be looking for somebody probably to help me. So maybe you can come work with, work with me. And to this day, I always said, John, because their studio was across from ours. Remember when they shut them down? I do. And I was, I was going to send Martha notes. And Martha, I'm so sorry. Your show got canceled. Come work for us. Come work for us because we're still going full steam and we've stayed there another five more years. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, that's right. But it was a fun night. And, uh, and it's you know, a unique night. And, it's, yeah. and it would not have occurred had you not stuck with her or the brand had not stuck with her, et right. cetera. So I, I always like that story. It's a good one. Good yeah. business birthday. Happy great, birthday, great Martha. House. Great house. And yeah, Martha, of course, 81. it's a great house. You kidding? <laughs> but I wonder with somebody like her, and I guess it's similar to maybe I'm doing a stretch here, Cher and some of these other folks, Madonna. Madonna might be a bad example. But do you ever just get tired and say, I'm done? Let me just. Right. Martha's 81 and she's still pushing it. I mean, she does. She puts out TikToks every day. She's got a blog. She's done podcasts. She just started. Um, she still oversees part of the company. She's got these houses. Yeah. And, you know, it's a lot of work. And it's a great question. When when do you hang up your hat? And when do you just like, maybe never, right? For yeah. for some people. Maybe that's, I, just I, the, that's just the, that's the way it is. Yeah, they said she dated. Uh, here's, oh, so the two other things. She's a cousin of Jimmy Kimmel. Yep. I didn't know. And that she dated. Do you know who one of the guys was that she dated for quite some time? Uh-oh. Who? She dated Anthony Hopkins. 
Oh my God, are you serious? But she said she eventually ended the relationship after she saw Silence of the Lambs. She said she was unable <laughs> to avoid associating him um, with Dr. Lecter. She, couldn't, she, couldn't, she was unable to avoid associating him with the character, Hannibal Lecter. Oh my God, Tim. That's a great, Bob's going to love that when he hears this. That's a great, because one of our favorite movies is Silence of the Lambs. One of my favorite actors is Anthony Hopkins. I should have known this. This is hysterical. That's yeah. great. Good piece. Yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday, Martha. Happy birthday, Martha. All right. Moving along to the shop talk that we uh, teased at the beginning of the show. Um, the headline reads as follows, and this comes to us from CNBC.com. I talked to 70 parents who raised highly successful adults. Here are four things they never did when their kids were young. And I'm, I was attracted to this because Tim and I talk about our childhood a great deal. And in the sense of what our parents did, what we experienced, and then we watch parenting nowadays with, you know, peers and friends and just right. anybody with their kids. And it seems very different. So... The article starts off with, you know, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, but they have a bunch of these things, four rules, basically, that they've observed through this study of talking to these 70 parents. And the first one was that successful parenting and kids, rule number one, they never treated their kids' hobby as a waste of time. So whether it was sporting, video games, debating, bird watching, every child of the parents I spoke to had a passion outside of the classroom. The parents never veered their kids away from the hobby because they knew it was keeping them mentally active. Um, and they profile a woman who was a big, big fan of soccer when she was younger and growing up her passion was all about soccer. And eventually she went to Cornell and you know her career is different now. She has nothing to do with soccer, but that was her hobby. My parents were of a similar vein. I could pretty much do what I want if I wanted to build a model in the basement, if I wanted model rocketry. Actually, I've done a lot of things, <laughs> sci-fi and uh, movie related, but I was allowed to pursue it. Were you the same? Yeah, you know, you allow kids to be kids. And um, if they do have a particular hobby, whether it's like you said, it's model building or it's sci-fi or reading or whatever, is you allow them to be kids and don't... Um, don't have, don't discourage any of that because, as you've often said too, many of your good ideas come outside of a traditional sitting at a desk. Yeah, and so I true. think it, so I think it's good to uh, to treat this in the same way. Which goes to the second um, the second point, which I think you and I both probably agree on this one. The, the headline or the title is says uh, they never made all the choices for their kids. So as a as a as a parent, of course, you can know when your kid might be going the wrong way or taking the wrong turn. But they said that um, parents can definitely see strengths in their kids, but you have to let them figure it out. And maybe instead of telling them what they can't do, you ask some questions, but you also should just encourage them to be independent, think for themselves, um, but also trust, you know, do some research, find out facts, but kind of let let the kids find their way. And I thought about this with just probably both you and I with with finding colleges. My parents were totally hands-off with yep. what I was Ditto. looking at and where I wanted to go. In some cases, I wish they might have been more active. <laughs> but in other cases, it's just kind of they were, you know, you figure out, you visit the places, you figure out what you think you might uh, might want to do and where you want to go. So, Did um, you, going back to the first point, did you have hobbies as a kid? You know, I collected... Or was um, it activities? You know, it was both. But probably, I, I, you know, hobbies, I was trying to think of a hobby hobby. You know, I had, 
I used to work on my brother and I had go karts and motorbikes. We'd work on a lot. Uh, that's a hobby. Um, we would also then spend, you know, any time it got cold enough, we wanted to go skate. Mm -hmm. So we'd be skating. Um, we always played uh, afternoons. You know, we got home, threw our stuff off. Then there was a little field in the neighborhood. We'd all go play soccer or kickball or something. So we were just out and about um, doing stuff. And so, if but if I said I had some real hobby, I'm not sure I could define. Yeah, it. mine was a uh, model building, model rocketry, and then I got a hand, my hands on a Super 8 camera that used to wind up. Yeah, and then the fun began, and that's when I would do things like build a model of the Hindenburg, douse it with gasoline, and throw a match <laughs> at it, and film it. Never went the way I wanted to. It just crumpled into a ball of smelly plastic, and then you get screamed at, you know. And I did that in the house, by the way. <laughs> We had we had a next door neighbors and we built I wish I, and back yeah, obviously before cameras or before you would probably even take pictures, but we would build these elaborate forts in the woods and yeah. tree houses, um, which now I don't think you could probably get away with. Um, I'm sure it was somebody's property. Isn't it something though? You would uh, in your parents. This this goes to the heart of this whole article of like they yeah. our my parents didn't always know what we were doing. So number. Um, Number three here on the four, the list of four things that lead to highly successful parenting and kids is they never prized money. Parents never prized money or high paying degrees over happiness. Um, someone who loves something enough and works hard at it will find a way to turn it into a living, even without a degree in that field. And they won't be afraid to tackle an opportunity that won't pay anything for a few years as they might be if they had to pay off high student debt every month, et cetera. So this whole idea of, you know, follow your heart or at least follow your passion and the money will follow. I, I guess that's just, th this is what they're kind of getting at here is they, they did not, successful parents don't say you have to be a lawyer or you have to be a doctor because that's what's going to pay the bills. They let their kids figure it out. What I don't, you know, and this might be a generational thing and, and school was expensive when we went to college, but yep. still a f far affordable. more affordable than it is now. And somebody who majored in, I don't, you didn't necessarily make fun of somebody if they said, I want to major in art history. No. Nowadays but, you do. But. but nowadays you would do because you go like, well, how is that going to pay the bills? But we've kind of taken the education part out of education. And if you hear, if you talk to anybody, and I've talked to some people in my, my college, which I'm sure is indicative of others is that in some ways the parents have gotten so involved and they want so many guarantees that, well, if my son comes here and gets a pre-law degree, are you going to get them in a top five law school and then they're going to get a job and be a partner? You can't guarantee all that. And so I often wonder with how education overall is going to take a huge, huge change um, going forward in the next 10 years, I think, or five years. And, and Tim, to follow up on what you're saying, it's almost as if... It, random happens and random can be good but and i think we're the subject we're the we're the end result of some good decisions but random things that happen along the way when a parent takes random out by saying don't study right. this don't do this do that it, it just doesn't allow you to like learn certain things so what was the last thing on yeah. the list here so the last thing is uh parents never neglected financial literacy so this, this is a good one. So this is a final note about money. Although the parents I spoke with never pushed their kids toward pursuing a high-paying job, all of them made an effort to teach their kids about money in one form or another. So they talked about how um, it was important to save 
And if you made uh, X amount of dollars, maybe you could save 20% of your pay or a certain amount of your pay of each paycheck, no matter how much it was. You know, so just because you're making a starting salary or starting wage doesn't mean you can't put away $5 or $10 or $20 or whatever the percentage is. And it's important to be a saver. I've learned that from my mom um, and my dad, but my mom more so. My mom was far more um, diligent and good with the money and saving money for rainy days sort of thing. And uh, I did that as well when I started working, when I could afford to. I would put, at Subaru, for instance, we were given a car. So I said to myself, if I had a car payment, how much would it be a month? And I would try to put that much away each month as if I had a car payment which um, helped me in a number of cases when I needed to put a new roof on the house or something, which unexpected um, repairs come into play. That money sure helped me get through things. So, Well, and, and another thing the article mentions, I'm surprised you didn't read this paragraph, was um, one of the people they talked to, he, he said, because I paid for college, I never missed a class. I yeah. calculated the cost of each class at 500. If I was tempted to skip a class, I always thought there was nothing I could possibly do during this hour that's worth more than 500. And the guy's name was Joel, who recounted that story. I put myself through school. Yeah. You did too. And in fact, the schools that we chose, we paid for with um, part-time work. Uh, yeah. We had saved money. You You had jobs on campus in the summer and, and I had summer jobs as well. I had work study, I had loans, but I paid for school. And I had this exact mentality that that guy had. I, I was aware of every minute and the cost of it. And it made me, well, I graduated really with, with really good grades. Um, I can't even, did you skip, <laughs> did that you skip any about, classes? I never skipped a class unless I was sick. I never did either. I, I, I one time shockingly slept through um, I had an 8, 8 a.m. class and I slept through it once and the next, uh, that afternoon my advisor came looking for me and uh, wanted to know why I missed the class and I told him I overslept, which and that was my senior year it was the only time I ever missed something and I was mortified and he, he went right at me and, and gave the same logic you know how much that money that was? I think at that time yeah. he said you, know, you just wasted $300 or 150 whatever the number was but uh, it's a good way to put it into context because i had friends who they would never go to class yeah and I, I i don't know they would how borrow they... your notes yeah. you'd be like well why didn't you go you know and tim on a financial literacy side you began working around the same time i did you began yeah. doing part-time at walden's and stuff like that like was it your junior senior year of high school yeah well i started working as soon as i was 16 ditto um, same here you know i had to work and that was my, I still laugh about my mother. She, it was in the Danbury News Times and they had announced that a Walden Books was opening up, which was, of course was huge. <laughs> Your mom, area. I didn't know this about this. Go ahead. So my mom looks there and they were looking for, there was a, an ad for a manager for Walden Books. And so my mother goes, here, write them a letter and tell them, they're based in Stanford, tell them you want to go to school and you need to earn money. I said, mom, that ad's for a manager. I said, I'm not a manager. I haven't worked before. You write them and tell them you want to go to school and you want to have a job. Somebody's got to stock the shelves. So I was like, oh, okay. So I write this letter. And then I got, uh, I got the call. And funny enough, they told me years later, they did hire me because, A, they thought the letter was, you know, the only kind of letter they got like that of, you know, I want to put myself through college. But the other <laughs> thing was they needed somebody in the evenings because it was such a rural area. They were afraid with the bank deposit at night, which you know might be $300 that um, 
they needed somebody to take the money to the bank at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night when the store closed. And so they wanted to have a guy work. So I always worked the evenings. That's why I always worked. That's right. You were, they they told me that later on, which I, which I thought was smart. I was part-time at Marshall's brand names for less. My friend Ricky got me the job. I started in the shoe department. Um, but it came about because I got my driver's license and I came home from the DMV and I'm like, I can drive now. And they're like, well, you need, my parents are like, you need insurance. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. But they're like, well, you got to buy your own insurance. Yeah, not getting and it on liter- ours. Yep. yep. Doesn't grow on trees. And that was there. I mean, I had been a good saver. In fact, I don't know if I ever told you about that. I think I told you about my Hardy Boy book collection. Oh yeah. Years- we used to sell your homework, didn't you? I used to sell my homework in grammar school. My parents found out they were livid, but I heard a private conversation through their door after I got yelled at and punished. I heard my uh, dad say to my mom, he goes, you got it. He goes, you got to like the ingenuity. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom's like, no, we don't want to reinforce that. And, but whenever I made money from doing any little odd jobs, can you, can you up it a little bit? A little more. change your rates <laughs> i had three kids that would buy i would i i learned how to duplicate their handwriting i would do the oh homework oh my god are you kidding me they all had paper routes too they all could afford it it was you know what were you charging a, a buck or a buck or two yeah it was not much but i would hide the proceeds in my hardy boy book collection <laughs> and one day my mom took it upon herself to clean the shelf that the hardy boy books were on and she pulled them out she starts dusting the tops and money starts falling out of the books <laughs> And she's like, what, what, what's going on? I mean, it was like five singles and, and then she got the pile of money and then she said, we're going to wait till your dad comes home. And I'm like, no, 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 we're going to wait till your dad comes home. And yeah. So <laughs> what a great story. I still always love that one to sell in the homework. <laughs> and your father's how do you right. I got, how do you think I go back to point number one, support your children's hobbies? I had right. to buy model rockets and models, you know, so it cost money. No, listen, it was a, so smart, a good article, huh? Smart thing. It was a very good article. And I think it's um, so many helicopter parents right now probably could learn from, yeah. from those four, those four lessons. So we'll, uh, we'll post that article to our Facebook page, which is focus group radio. So you can find all of our information there, of course, as well as on our website, which is focusgroupradio.com, You can find all of our shows there, including our uh, podcast, which is TFG unbuttoned, which is released every Tuesday. And uh, again, a big thanks to our friends at Deep Discount. They've got a colorful sale going on right now. I chose Betty White in Life with Elizabeth and Date with the Angels. John had picked The Man in the White Coat in the release this week. The new release is The Lost City. And you'll find uh, Deep Discount's logo at our website, focusgroupradio.com. Click there and shop because we get credit for it. We, uh, we hope everyone is surviving the uh, dog days of summer as we're into August now. Remember, don't leave your pets or children or elderly or anybody unattended in a hot car. And also, you'd be smart not to text and drive. We want you to arrive alive. So those are our two tips for the day, right, Mr. Nair? Correct. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next week. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.